Don't know. And David's not wearing shorts. So I know. So I don't know what's going on. The world is in kilter. But Jesus never changes, so it doesn't matter. I have extra notes. Anybody need one? Here, Jan, you can have this one. No, they're this week's notes. That's because I forgot to do it and had to run home and do it. I got too caught up in my devotions this morning and forgot where I was. Yeah. Um, I don't. I, I don't. I don't need a Bible today. I've memorized it, so we're good. So we're still in the Sermon on the Mount, and I think, this is my opinion now, that uh, these few verses in chapter 7 are probably one of the most profound teachings that Jesus gives us. and, And it's a verse everybody knows, but I don't think we know it. I don't think we fully understand the ask, the seek, the knock purposes that were on God's heart uh, when this was put into his word. Um, if you go through the Old Testament, which was the Bible in Jesus' time, there are plenty of examples of people who prayed and what God did in response to prayer um, that And even with that, there were many Jews and, frankly, a lot of Christians today who feel like or felt like God is uh, inaccessible Um, and that prayer is a hit or miss proposition, that um, there are some who have gone so far to say God is sovereign, which he is. I totally agree with that. But in his sovereignty... He's already determined what he's going to do. And the only reason we even have conversation with him about what he's doing is because the Bible tells us to. But Jesus um, was a prayer. And so the question really is not, should we pray? The question is, will we pray? Will we? And here's, here's my conclusion. Prayerlessness is the result of unbelief. And what I mean by that is we don't fully understand the depth of our conversation with God. We don't fully understand how it works. And that's why Jesus talks about this ask, seek, and knock um, model for us to pray. But I, I want you to see, now, do we all believe Jesus was fully God and fully man? Yes. Okay. Anybody disagree with that? If you do, Dale will take you into the cry room, and uh, he'll, he'll deal with you on that. So if he was fully God and fully man, why did Jesus need to pray? Fully God, meaning deity, meaning knowing all things. Why would he who knew all things need to pray. And and the key to that, he gives us the answer to that when he says, and when you pray, pray this way, Father in heaven, hallowed your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so the reason Jesus prayed was he was operating as man, getting in agreement with what his father was doing in heaven so he could see it made manifest here on earth. And I just want to, I didn't put every verse in, but I just want I want you to understand there's a pattern in Jesus and long before Mark 135. Now in the morning, having risen long before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place and there he prayed. Talking about Jesus. So Jesus got up before the sun rose and went outside and spent time with his father. Mark chapter 6, verse 46. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Luke 5:16. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Luke 9, 28. 
Now it came to pass eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Luke 22, 39 through 42, coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed. Then the writer of Hebrews, who we don't know who it is, but he obviously knew about Jesus and about Jesus' prayer life, he says this, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. So this talking about Jesus in the garden crying out um, for the Father to let the cup pass from him, but not his will, the Father's will be done. That's Jesus as man understanding that he is God is about to be separated from his father for the first time because your sin and my sin. And then Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them, which tells us that right now Jesus, and the book of Romans tells us this also, Jesus is at the right hand of the father making intercession for us. And again, we have to ask ourselves, why is Jesus praying for us? Why is he making intercession for you and I? And the model of Jesus' prayer, I believe, we find in Matthew 6, when he says, when you pray, pray this way. But as we jump into these verses, beginning with verse 7. So in Matthew 6, Jesus taught us how to pray. Now in Matthew 7, he wants us to understand the importance of asking. Um, you know, we have this old saying, you have not because you ask not. Jesus wanted us to understand the whole foundational premise of prayer is asking. And is not, can we define it? We take it in a sentence. Just understand, prayer is not convincing God to do something you want him to do. Prayer is having a conversation with him to be in agreement with what he's doing. And that's the key to asking. You see, a lot of people who don't pray say prayer doesn't work because they don't understand what prayer is. If, if we had to put it into human terms, for many people, prayer is like some sort of spell or chant that, that they say it enough, they can conjure something up. And that is not what prayer is. Prayer, understand, prayer is a conversation. There's two sides to a conversation. Prayer isn't just talking. Prayer is listening as well. You can be sitting in a chair and not saying a word and be in prayer because God the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about what's on his heart for your life. And so Jesus says this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. So, first of all, many of us don't have because we've never simply asked. We, we do need to ask. There is a requirement for us to ask. And so Jesus stresses, you know, and, and so when we ask, he taught us in Matthew 6 that when you ask, ask this way, Father, your kingdom come, you will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we have to have a heaven-mindedness to ask for God to move in our affairs here on earth. It doesn't work the opposite way. We don't, we're not earthly-minded asking heaven to come down and get involved in earth. We're asking, we're heavenly minded and asking heaven to come down and to have its impact upon earth as God's will is being made manifest. So he says, ask, it'll be given to you and everyone who asks receives. You notice he didn't say, he says, everyone who asks receives. How, okay, so how much is everyone? Does that mean everybody in this room? It does. So here's a promise. We just sang. Your promises never fail. Your promises never fail. He just says here, everyone 
who asks receives. Yet I'm, I'm not a betting man, but I would bet that if you went to many, you pick arbitrarily pick churches and you ask people, does God always answer their prayers? They will say no. And it's because they don't understand what praying is. It's because they don't understand the promises of God. And quite frankly, they don't understand what's required of us beyond asking. Jesus didn't just say, ask, and it's done. He says, not only you have to ask, then you have to seek, and then you got to knock. So there is a process here. And so as, <coughs> as sons and daughters, honey, can you hand me more water right there? Janet, can you hand me more water? As sons and daughters, um, we take our needs to the Father on a continual basis. Um, look, at I raised three kids. I have 13 grandkids. Their needs never go away. You know, they, even my adult children who have children who are adults still let us know their needs. As parents, it's, it's, it's part of the plan. For those of you who have little kids, that's your encouragement. It's never going to go away. When they have kids, it will only increase. And so, so as sons and daughters, we take our concerns directly to our father every day. And it's interesting here that um, this wasn't originally written in English. It was written in Aramaic. And so the fact that it says, ask, seek, and knock is not... Jesus wasn't thinking, I have this idea. I'll do this acronym, ask, seek, knock. That's ask. You know, it just kind of worked out that way. So, um, so asking is synonymous with inquiring and requesting and praying. So when you ask, he says, everyone who asks will receive. Okay? And so it's, it's the expression of the wants and needs that we have based upon God's desire for us. I'm, I'm just going to say this flat out. There, there is a stream in the church that believes that God wants us to prosper and that we can ask for anything we want and that they can take this promise and make it fit. And so we don't ask for needs. We don't ask for daily bread. We ask for bigger, bigger better, faster, more. That's, that is totally unbiblical. That is, a, that is a, a misapplication of scripture. That would be called heresy. So we need to know it's synonymous. So asking is an expression of your wants and your needs according to what God the Father has put on your heart for needs in your life. Because he says he will supply all of our need according to our, his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He, he, he won't miss anything. Secondly, he says we're to seek, which is also synonymous with inquiring and requesting, but to seek is to imply that we are to pray often. Um, and, and that is, um, it's an act, something to actively look for something that has yet to be found. So even though we've asked God to do something according to what he wants, he, here's how, if I had to put it in a simple phrase, here's how prayer works. In the realm of prayer, in the realm of the kingdom and God doing stuff, there's time, timing, and faith. God determines the timing. God determines the time. We walk in faith. So we need to understand that the time and the timing are not our responsibility. Our responsibility is faith. That is to believe in a time he's yet to reveal to us and hope for the fulfillment of something we've yet to see. So in our prayer life, too often we get discouraged because of the time and the timing, and, and we lose faith, so to speak. But Jesus is saying, look, at once you ask, it's not a lack of faith to keep asking. What you do is in that asking, you keep asking according to the promises because God says he keeps his word, he doesn't lie. You keep asking. And then he says, even further, keep knocking, and that is to, to come with a, a serious sincerity that, God, this is what you want done, and you've chosen me to pray it through, and so I'm going to keep coming to you with it, 
believing that your time and timing are in alignment with my faith. And when they collide at the right moment, we're going to see the fulfillment of your kingdom coming on earth. So time and timing is God's responsibility. Faith is ours. And the writer of Hebrews made faith as clear as mud. It's the evidence of things hoped for, the substance of things unseen. So basically, it's believing that was not in my hand, that God said is going to be in my hand, is in my hand. That's what, and that's why a lot of people don't pray. People can't can't get past the time and the timing. I believe in my heart of hearts. There's no one who can unconvince me that God has said that a Buddhist temple on the corner of Cerritos and 6th Street will become his house of prayer, regardless of everything that points otherwise, regardless of the fact that the But do I go by what I see, or do I go by who I know and what he's promised? So if I go by what I see, then I will get caught up in time and timing. And I will say, God, I must have misheard it, or I missed it or something, and I quit praying. So I, even though he's painted it a different color that I don't like, and even though he's put, now he's moved his little temple ornamental shrines to the outside as well, built a courtyard. I've even had city council members talk to me and say, look it, I don't want him to think I'm coming against him, but could you call code enforcement? and see if they got a permit to put that ugly thing up, which I did call code enforcement, and yes, they did get a permit to put that ugly thing up. So um, it's there. But I can't go, I can't let what I see discourage me from communicating with who I know. Because he's got the time, he's got the timing. My responsibility is the faith, to believe in the evidence of things hoped for and the substance of what I can't see. And so when he's talking about asking, seeking, knocking, it is in the context of us understanding time and timing are his responsibility, faith is ours. The moment we stop asking, the moment we stop seeking, the moment we stop stop knocking, we are saying, I don't believe. We are saying, I don't have faith, I don't believe what I just sang. His promises never fail. And so that's a big part of faith. A big part of faith is holding on to the promises of God and believing that God's promises, the Bible says, are in Jesus are yes and amen. God's promises are so be it. So whatever God has promised you, whatever God has said he's going to do, even if you're praying for a spouse or you're praying for a child or you're praying for healing, whatever God has put on your heart to pray for, we cannot, cannot, cannot allow the circumstances of earth overtake what heaven is doing because it's heaven coming to earth. It's not earth controlling heaven. And that is a big Um, faux pas in people's prayer lives is they're trying to get heaven to come in alignment with what they want to see happen on earth. And so if all we have to do is ask, then why don't we have the desires of our heart? Because the Bible says it will be given to you. It doesn't say it might be given to you. The whole premise of this asking, seeking, and knocking, again, is faith. And I've quoted this verse in Hebrews 11.1. So part of the problem is we don't ask in the right way. Not a, I'm not saying there's a formula to the way you pray, that you have to pray a certain prayer, rote prayer. Here, here, is, here is what it activates prayer, Hebrews 11.1. 1. It's believing in what we can't see and grabbing on, or grabbing on what we can't see and believing in what we hope for. That should be the motivation of our prayer. And what motivates that, and this is what it comes to, are his promises. If we believe his promises, then we believe for the substance of what we can't see and the evidence of what we hope for. We believe in it because his promises say they exist. They say they're there. So we have to be specific. We have to be persistent. We have to be concise. 
and it has to be done with faith. Now, Jesus continually tells these stories in the New Testament to help us understand the necessity of this process, the necessity of asking, seeking, and knocking. He tells the parable of the widow, Matthew 8, I mean Luke 18. So I want to read it to you. Then he spoke to them a parable. Listen to why he spoke the parable. This is the key to everything. That man always ought to pray and not lose heart. So if we look at that analytically, Jesus is saying the reason people stop praying is because they lose heart. And they lose heart because they're focused on the time and the timing and they're not walking in faith. They're not believing that God's going to do what he promises to do when he determines the best time to do it. So he tells us this story, this parable about this widow. So that tells us it's not a true story, but it's a story he's telling us to help us understand why we have to continually to ask, seek, and knock and not lose heart when we pray. So he says this, there was a certain city, in a certain city, a judge who did not fear God nor regard men. So this is a faithless man who is mean. He didn't fear God, and he didn't give a rip about people. He didn't care if you hurt your feelings. He didn't care if you thought he liked you or not. He was that kind of man. Everybody knows somebody like that. Didn't, didn't fear God, could care less about men. Now, there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward, he said within himself, though I don't fear God and I don't regard man, so he's saying to himself, hey, I'm godless and I hate people. Yet, because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then Jesus said, hear what the unjust judge said. Jesus says, listen to what I just said in the story. Listen to what the judge says. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them, though he controls the time and the timing, though he bears long, will God not bring justice to those who cry out to him? I tell you, that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on earth? So this question about faith is in this context of not losing heart when we pray. And so the story prevents, prevents, presents a model <clears throat> of how we should approach God in intercession. So first of all, <clears throat> this lady went straight to the judge. She didn't get somebody else to do it for her. And understand, the reason he chose a lady and not a man, and the reason he chose a widow, is because widows had no position. They had no clout whatsoever. So <clears throat> he's choosing a character who's coming before the man with the most authority, the character who has the least authority. So someone who has no standing whatsoever because she's a widow. So she has nobody to fight for her. She doesn't have sons. She doesn't have a kinsman redeemer. She has nothing going on. She has to go to this judge whom she knows is godless and doesn't like her. But she goes anyway. And so the, the story is about how we should present, how we should approach God in intercession. And so <clears throat> this, this widow is, is kind of held as the standard, uh, the, the picture of dynamic, effective prayer. Um, and, and intercessors, and I'm urging you today to approach prayer with this type of tenacity, but here's what Jesus wasn't saying. He's not saying this is what prayer is about and this is how you should pray. That's not the, the, the emphasis of his story. What he's saying this, how he is eventually effective with an unjust judge how much more effective are we going to be as God's kids? 
how much more effective are our requests going to be when we as children go to Abba Father in the spirit of adoption and we ask for his will for our life to be accomplished? So he's saying, look it. If a woman who has no rights and authority goes to a man who doesn't like her and is still able to, be, to get what she needs, how much more are we as the children of God going to be able to go to Abba Father, to go to Daddy, to ask for our request to be made known, our request to be answered? He spoke of a widow also because Jesus, as the ultimate kinsman redeemer, you know what a kinsman redeemer is? If, if a woman is married to a man and her husband dies before she has children, if he has a brother, it's the brother's responsibility to take his dead brother's wife as his wife and have children with her so, to, so as to carry on the lineage of the dead brother. So Jesus is the ultimate kinsman redeemer, and he has come to Israel, and Israel has totally rejected him. He, they have not recognized him. Isaiah prophesied he would be despised and rejected. And so he's saying, look it, Israel has totally rejected me. Um, so they, have a, they had an emotional makeup of an abandoned widow because they didn't recognize the one who had come to set them free. They were lonely. They were without hope for not accepting him. And he's saying, look it, you're not like that. You're not widowed. Nobody in this room is like the widow. We are the bride of Christ. We are the sons and daughters of the Most High. And therefore, if an unjust judge is going to eventually give in to the needs of a widow who has no rights, how much more is a dad going to meet the needs of his children who come and ask him? And if you have kids and they tug on your pant leg and say, Daddy, I'm hungry, I need something to eat, we're not going to slap them upside the head and say, get away from me. Don't bother me. At least we're not supposed to. That's not how God treats us when we approach him. So, and then Jesus in Luke 11, you know, he wants us to know that, that not only are we more than a widow, we are more than a friend. Because he tells another parable. And uh, this parable is about neighbors who are friends. And this is what he says in Luke 11. He says, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. It must have been teenagers if they're eating at midnight. Anyway. And he will answer from within. So in other words, the friend who's already in bed is not even going to come to the door. He's going to yell toward the door. He will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So Jesus, again, is talking about persistent prayer. Um, fortunately, I don't know anybody in this room who will keep texting me at midnight asking for food. Um, well, Terry might, but, uh, <laughs> that's right. Terry's asleep by eight, so I know he won't be hungry at midnight. So Jesus showed that the humble boldness of a friend arouses a man's compassion to fill a need. Um, and it also shows distance. Um, and it also showed that even though this guy was considered his friend, it was an inopportune time for him. Dude, I'm in bed. My kids are in bed with me. They're sleeping. If I get up, I'm going to wake them up. It's going to take me an hour to get the baby back to sleep. So you can do without bread for six hours. Come back when the sun rises. But even though it's a small need, I mean, if the guy was bleeding and dying, I think it would be a different story. But it's a small need. And Jesus wants us to know that with him, even though for a man who says it's an inopportune time, because you keep asking, I'm going to get it up and give it to you, Jesus wants us to know that there's no inopportune time for us to approach him. 
We can come to him anytime. In fact, this is, this is what Scripture says. My help, <clears throat> Psalm 121, 2 and 4, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither sleep nor slumber. So God's saying, look it, I'm a 24-hour God. You know, I'm kind of like McDonald's. You can drive through 24 hours a day, and I will be there to serve you. And so God says, look it, you can come to me at midnight. It's not inopportune for me. It's not gonna, I'm not going to say, hey, all the angels are asleep right now. Could you please come back, you know, when they wake up? So how much more would he do it than an earthly father? So let's go back. And Luke 11 is also talking. It's, it's another, it's Luke telling his version of the Sermon on the Mount. So Luke says, Jesus said, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. And I just put ask, ask, seek, knock, spells ask, ask him. So the contrast is that we come as more than a friend when we knock on his door. We come as his kids. And again, you know, if your kid's tugging on your pants, I mean, my grandkids, particularly the McDonald grandkids, so you'll know who those three are. The moment they walk into our house, the first word out of their mouth is, can we have a snack? David does the same thing when he comes to my house. So <laughs> only he doesn't ask. He just goes to the fridge to see what's in there. That, uh, <clears throat> that's right. That's right. But, <clears throat> but, but here's the reality that when, when our grandkids walk in the house and say, can we have a snack? Now, if we're going to feed them lunch, we'll say, we'll give you lunch in a few minutes. But Grammy has a little basket in the pantry. She always tries to keep full of what Jude calls knacks. Um, so we have a knack basket. So when they ask for a knack, we have something to give them. And yes, it is healthy, and it is organic, and it is wholly good for them. Um, so Jesus encourages prayer by reminding us the nature of the one to whom we're praying. Human parents meet the needs of children. How much more, he says, how much more, how much more will your heavenly father give to you than an earthly father will give to his earthly children? Now, we just said your promises never failed. That is a promise spoken from the mouth of Jesus. How much more will God, our heavenly father, give to us what we ask for, how much more than an earthly father can give to us what we ask for. So, and we need to understand that our primary needs should be spiritual, okay? In other words, the Bible says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. You know, cast your seed upon the water, it'll come back on every shore. Um, for God, he's already promised, you know, look at the birds always eat, the lilies are always clothed, you are much more than a bird and a lily, you'll always have food, you'll never go naked, you always, I'll always take care of you. So those physical needs are something God um, makes sure happens in our life every day, but our spiritual needs... See, I believe everything flows out of our spirituality. Our spiritual needs are something we need to be in constant conversation with God about. Um, so um, a proper relation with God through the Holy Spirit assures that he'll provide our spiritual material needs. And it's our privilege to come to our Heavenly Father with our smallest need. And just let me, God loves the fact that you don't consider anything too small for him. It's, it's, we can't look at God and say, I know you're there for the big stuff. I'll take care of the little stuff. He wants to be involved in all of it. He wants to be involved in every aspect. He wants to know that we fully trust him with everything in our life. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Be anxious for nothing, the smallest thing. But in everything by prayer, even that small request and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, 
which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So the peace of God means that we have confidence to know that every request will be supplied by God. Let that sink in for a moment. Jesus is saying this. The measurement for our trust in God answering prayers that we're yet to see answered is peace. He says, and the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, is going to guard your heart. So part of the measurement of your amount of trust in God's keeping his promises really is manifest in peace or stress. If you are nervous and stressed and worried, that says you don't fully trust his promises because this Bible says that if we trust our prize promises and the smallest of requests, the result of that prayer, the result of making that request is going to be, because we trust God's promises, that the peace of God, which is beyond our ability to understand. So what he's saying is this. Even when it doesn't make sense, God is still at work, and therefore we should have peace. When it's beyond our understanding, the peace of God which surpasses understanding is going to be upon our heart and our minds through Christ Jesus. So the peace of God means we have confidence to know that every request is supplied with Jesus. There are two verses that I pray every morning. Now there's a lot of scripture I pray, but there are two verses that are the catapult into my conversation with my Heavenly Father. The first one is Numbers 23, verse 19. And this is why I have peace. This is the source of my, for me personally. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, will he not do? Has he spoken, will he not make it good? That verse is the source of my peace because here's, here's what I hold on to. God says in his word, he cannot, he does not, he will not lie. So if what he has told me he will do, I'm asking for, I should have peace because he doesn't lie to me. He doesn't. The second drop me on my head and say, ha, 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 just kidding. The second verse, I actually do three verses. I do 23 through 24 and, and Mark 11. But verse 24, therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask, ask, seek, knock. Whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. So that is asking with boldness, asking, seeking, and knocking. And, and Jesus is the one who says this. And he's saying, believe that you receive them even though they are not tangibly there in your hand or before your eyes yet. You have to believe you've received. And why do we believe we received what we asked for? Because he's promised it. we just saying, your, your promises never fail because we truly believe in our heart we know God will not, has not, cannot, ever will lie to me. What he has said to me in his word is true. Now, God has not said that, yes, right now you're driving a minivan and I know you'd rather drive a Lamborghini, so you're going to get the Lamborghini. That's not what that's all about. See, once... Our relationship with God is spiritual as father to son or daughter to son. The whole approach of our prayer life changes. We pray out of spiritual understanding. We pray for spiritual things that manifest themselves here on earth. We pray for the things of heaven to invade earth, for God's glory to be made manifest with the ultimate goal being to bring glory to his name, whether through salvation, whether through healing, whether through caring for the widow, the orphan, the poor, it's all spiritual. It's all spiritual. So, again, back to, it's back to the issue of faith. Jesus asks the question, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on earth? 
That's the question Jesus is asking. So he's saying, when I come back, am I going to find people who have trusted my word, believed in my promises, asked according to my Father's will in heaven, and have trusted me, and that trust has been made manifest in peace? Because here's the thing. If our trust is in the balance of our bank account, everybody has a threshold of comfort in their bank account. When it drops below that threshold, if that's where our trust is, we're going to begin to panic. If your threshold is 50 bucks, as long as I got 50 bucks in the bank, I'm good, and you get your notification of the bank, uh, your balance is now $8.97. If you fully trust God's promises and you truly believe everything God's told you is going to do, the response should be, okay, Daddy, I can't wait to see how you're, going to, how you're going to take care of me with this. But if your response is, oh, crap, what can I sell? You know, can I, who can I call? You know, maybe there's a check in the mailbox. See, that's, that is not a response of peace. The response of peace flows out of trust, which flows out of faith. If our response is worry, if our response is trying to find a way to fix it and resolve it ourselves, then Jesus is saying, I'm not going to find faith on earth when I return. I'm going to find people who, who had faith in the balance of their bank account or faith in their ability to take a second job to make more money so that they can have so much money in savings for retirement. Scripture says, in God's heart, all things existed in a state of completion before the foundations of the world were set. So faith then is a matter of you and I positioning ourselves to hear from the Lord about his agenda which is why we go back to the beginning of my message, why Jesus got away to pray. He wanted to know the Father's agenda for that day, for that circumstance, for that situation, so that he could have peace and he could move in agreement with what the Father was speaking to him. This is John 5. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do, for whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son, shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. So Jesus told us right there why he got up early in the morning before the sun rose and went out to pray why he had these conversations with God. He wanted to see what God was doing. He wanted to hear what his father was saying, and then he simply wanted to do that, which is exactly what the peace of God that passes understanding is all about. Once you know what God is doing, just get on the bandwagon and go for the ride. That's what we're called to do. Prayer is finding out what God is doing in our conversation with him and then moving in agreement with him as he does it. And if it's not done today, well, then we pray the same prayer tomorrow. If it's not done tomorrow, we pray the same prayer the next day and the next day. Okay, I, I've been praying five years for that temple. For me, that seems like an eternity. But for God, five years isn't even a blink of the eye. So it's not about time. It's not about timing, it's about faith. So, we are positioned in wondrous joy and pleasure and anticipation that's going to birth something. It's like travail. You know, there comes that moment, thank God I got the male genes. There comes that moment when that baby says, I want out. And travail comes upon the mother and the body, and this whole process goes through. And even though there's pain and all kinds of chaos in that room, 
There is joy, pleasure, and anticipation for the result of that travail. In fact, the joy is so great that women forget about the pain and do it again. And some keep doing it. Won't mention any names, but, you know. (laughs) But that's what the whole process of prayer is about. There does come that time when there is $8.97 in the bank, and you know your house payment's going to come out tomorrow. And either you go and say, I'm going to go sell my car tonight so I can make my house payment tomorrow. You're going to say, God, look, I trust you. I have peace because you keep your promises. And every promise in you is yes and amen. And, and, and I have to tell you, that's how I, I live my life by faith. But I have to tell you, there, there are times I've thought, what can I sell? There are times we've taken all the gold and silver that we don't wear anymore, and we've taken it to a jewelry store and cashed it in to get cash to go somewhere and do something. Um, But there have also been times where we have, and I've told these stories before, but, you know, where we we wake up and and my wife says, what are you doing about the tires on the car? And I said, because it was just so happened both cars needed tires at the same time. I said, I don't know. All we can do is pray. And my phone buzzed. And so while we're in bed praying, I mean, it's morning, we're praying, my phone buzzes on my nightstand, it's a text from someone who's not a regular supporter. They said, God just told me I'm supposed to put tires on both your cars. Now that's, you know, I could have panicked and said, I don't know, honey, I think maybe I'll go sell my truck and that will have enough money to put tires in your car plus we can put something in savings so we have to deal with this again. Or we say, I don't know, but God's promised us that we're, he's going to take care of our need if we walk this walk of faith, so let's go to him. And while we're talking to him, it happens. It happened again a few months later when um, RJ was going to be born, and we needed to go to Kansas City, and, and we knew we were supposed to go, but we had no money. We're talking in bed in the morning. Let's pray. While we're praying, I get a text. Someone had just put $2,500 in my bank account. And it paid for our trip to go be there when RJ was born in Kansas City. See, that's, that's learning how to live out of peace. Now, I have failed that test many times since. So I'm not sitting here going, here's St. Rick, you know, or St. Nick. Um, but what I'm saying is it is a process. And God knows there are going to be times when we focus on the time and the timing and we forget about the faith and we try and fix it ourselves. And he still loves us anyway. And he still pats us on the head and says, okay, are you ready to let me do it now? But we have to be in that place where we're asking and seeking and knocking and we have perfect peace because we believe his promises. We believe he's going to do what he says he's going to do. You know, making sure that we have no spot or wrinkle. Here's Here's the key to ask, seeking, and knocking. The first thing we do is to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's what we learned in Matthew 6. When, how should we pray? You know, our Father in heaven, he goes down and he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So then we need to make certain that we're righteous before God. We cannot approach God in unrighteousness. We're not to have spot or wrinkle. We have to enter in through Jesus through the new and living way, through the atonement, through the blood, the washing of the blood, the forgiveness of sin. That's why you need to make sure that you don't have any sin when you're coming to God to deal with the affairs of life. Deal with the sin first. And also we're to make certain we're ready. You know, the reality is, if I had that temple right now, um, what would I do? You know, there's, there's some things that still have to get in line for God to do it, and they haven't fallen into place yet. So that's why I have to trust him for the whole deal. It's not about a building. It's about a city that God's building. It's about a house that he's building to build a city. So I have to hold fast to that and continue to pray that in. And it is the Father heart of God that we come to. Jesus, again, in Matthew 7, continuing on. It's a... We have the human father-son relationship, which portrays 
a human divine father relationship. And that Jesus says this, or what man is there among you if his son asks for bread, gives him a stone? So he forms the question that expects no for an answer. Then he rephrases the question, asking if a dad would give his son snake when he asked for a fish. Or if he asked for a fish, we give him a steak. So Jesus hits him with logic, not just faith. He's saying, look it. Here's what you got to know. Logically, if you're going to ask God for something he's put on your heart to ask for, he's not going to give you something else. If he's told you, you know, to pray in tires on your car, an alternator is not going to show up on your front porch. He, he puts on your heart what to ask for so that you ask if, if you need, and he's going to give you tires. If, if you, you know, if, if you need new shoes, he's not going to give you a hat. <clears throat> God's going to give you what you need, what you ask for. And Jesus is saying, look, let's, let's be reasonable here. Let's be rational here. Don't be afraid to ask me for bread. I'm not going to throw a rock at you. Don't be afraid to ask me for fish. I'm not going to put some poisonous steak in the basket. I'm going to give you what you need. So remember, Jesus had already taught them in asking, ask your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the whole premise. We must never neglect asking God our Father about all of our needs. I cannot emphasize enough the necessity of beginning your day by asking the Father what is on his heart and what needs you need for that day. You, you should, you know, if you're married, if you have a job, you, you don't walk past each other every day and not say a word. That relationship isn't going to work. You know, if, <clears throat> if you need groceries and the wife knows you need groceries, She's eventually going to have to tell the husband, I need groceries. In our family, that's me, because I do the shopping. It's different in other families, but that's how it works, which I love. Um, so the, the issue is making the need known. There has to be conversation. You know, if you're with coworkers, and, and, and there's work that needs to be done in the office, and other people have responsibilities, you're going to have to tell them what to do. You have to tell them what their responsibilities are, and you may have to train them how to do it. That's how our relationship with God works. We have to be in this conversation. We have to ask. We have to seek. We have to knock. It is James, the brother of Jesus, who says this, you have not because you ask not. And again, you don't have to worry about what you're asking if you're asking the Father what's on his heart to do in your life. Because now you're just asking for what the Father wants. What you're asking is, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then you continue to ask, you continue to seek, you continue to knock. And always, what I do every day when I pray for that temple, <clears throat> I thank him for the temple, even though it's not mine yet, <clears throat> and I remind myself, I say, God, I'm here because you don't lie to me. I'm here because you can't lie to me. What you've told me is true. So I'm here because I trust you, I believe in you, and I have the peace to know that it's going to happen. And so I have that conversation every day, and you know what? He doesn't get tired of it. He doesn't say, could you rephrase that a little different? He doesn't say, yeah, 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 I get it. Listen, it's done. When it's, when it's ready to happen, it's going to happen. Don't bother me anymore. No, he wants me to be, my part in the whole process is to knock and to knock and to knock and to knock. Not to beg. You know, I don't need to beg him because he's already promised he's going to do it. I just need to say, you know, you told me you're going to do it, so here I am. I believe you. I trust you. I have faith. Therefore, I have peace. <clears throat> so the Lord is teaching us that we don't always get the answer the first time we ask. If you haven't learned that already, welcome to Christian life. In fact, sometimes he says no. Um, and, and here's the cool thing. I, I think it's cool. 
when you know his voice and you hear him say no, it's really kind of release. I don't have to pray for that anymore. I don't, shouldn't waste my time about it anymore. You know, there are times I thought, God, I love our, our town home, but I need a little bigger house because we would like to have more people come to our house and have people stay. And so I have a couple of houses, and, and so I'd say, Lord, could we have this house? And I would pray, and he'd say no. And eventually one day he said, look it, you're in the house I want you to have. Stop asking for another house. That's cool. I don't have to look at bigger houses anymore. My wife's not happy about it. <laughs> Till he tells me different. But that's not my prayer anymore. You know, give me a bigger house or let me build a house. I would love to build another house. But you know what? I don't have time to build a house if I'm going to do what he's asked me to do. He's given me everything I need in the house that I have. And uh, we can still do house church in it. We can still get a lot of people in there. And so we have peace. I have peace. Um, I know you do. So to ask is the core of a father-child relationship. To ask, to seek, to knock. He's daddy, we're his kids. The agitated, fearful, problem-centered intercession with the mindset of a widow or a midnight caller will not suffice to accomplish what God has in mind. Only prayers of agreement with God's character, God's nature, God's agenda, brought to him by a bride in love, will accomplish his purposes. See, it's really pretty simple. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. Your prayer life becomes simpler when you ask him, what do you want me to pray? How do you want me to pray for this? And then you just pray in agreement with what he's doing, as opposed to striving, trying to figure out how to pray this thing through. And it doesn't matter what the thing is. I can say, as I've prayed for my wife's cancer, I have never had an urgent moment, a fearful moment like, oh, no, he's not going to answer this prayer. I've always had peace and confidence, you know. And, and yes, it's her journey. It's her body. She's the one walking through it. But I'm walking through it with her. And every day as I pray over her, and I do verbally pray over her every day. You know, I have full peace and confidence that God's got this. I'm praying what's on his heart. I pray what's on his mind. And we just let him do what he does. And you know what? It really doesn't matter what the numbers say. Sometimes, yes, we are ecstatic that they're low, but they're not as low as we want. But that doesn't mean, oh, no, we're fearful. I'll, I'll settle with them where they are and let her live a long life. You know? It's like, it's like my knee. You know what? I have a fake knee, but I can do stuff that I couldn't do with my real knee. And so I'm happy with it at the airport. It's okay. You know, even though I have to go through extra effort at the airport, it's okay. You know? Um, and that's how our life should be. God will meet our need, take care of our need, and we will know how to pray if we just ask him. So ask, seek, and knock. Ask, seek, knock. And let him take care of the time and the timing. And we have total faith in his promises. Because remember, never forget, God does not, cannot, will not, never has lied. He has never, ever said he's going to do something and not do it. Ever. Nor will he ever. He will always do what his nature says to do. And just in context, I'll close with this. The context of that verse is a prophet who's paid to prophesy something that God wasn't part of God's character or nature. And every time he got ready to prophesy, he didn't fulfill his contract for the money he was paid to prophesy because he said, look it, here's the problem. God doesn't lie. And since I'm speaking for God, I can only say what God's saying. So even though a guy was paid to be a liar, he still had to speak the truth because God always speaks the truth. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you, Jesus, that you took this time in the Sermon on the Mount not only to teach us how to pray, but to teach us what to pray. 
And I just pray that we will walk in the simplicity of this so that there will not be a question of will the Son of Man find faith in Azusa when he returns. That faith will be a, a beacon from this house and from this city because we have peace because you keep your word. And so, God, all these things we've prayed for over these years, all the things we've prayed for the city, for this house, for people, we continue, God, to stand in full confidence and peace because you keep your word. I pray that that will be on our forefront of our mind every day when we get up, that we begin our day with you and we say, okay, Daddy, what is on your heart today? I want your kingdom to come. I want your will to be done in my life as it is in heaven. Help me to see what you're seeing, to hear what you're saying, to do what you're doing, and to walk in agreement with it. And may that be our testimony. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, ask, seek, knock. Or you can just say ask and remember. A, ask, S, seek, K, knock. Go in peace. Yeah, don't forget homeless offerings. Just 